1: Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Predators Podcast, where our hearts are still pumping from the overtime win against the Islanders last night. I'm John Garcia, joined with me on the phone from Toronto with Adam Vingen. How you doing, Adam? I'm good, John. How are you? Doing just fine. Uh, How's the weather up there? We are uh, cold and rainy down here.
0: It is cold and blustery up here in Toronto, so maybe a slight edge to me because it's not raining. But I think it's supposed to snow tomorrow.
1: I'm not envious of that at all, but we're supposed to get a a little bit of rain, so we'll be uh, soaked and waterlogged for a little bit. Now, uh, Adam, we're going to get into the Forsberg suspension in just a little bit, but I wanted to talk quickly about the uh, thrilling overtime winner against the Islanders last night. Probably one of the best games that I've seen this season. What were your thoughts on the game?
0: Well, I think we sort of expected a defense-optional kind of game uh, between these two teams particularly based on the Predators' opponent. The Islanders entered the game as one of the highest-scoring teams in the league, but also uh, the worst defensive team in the league in terms of goals allowed per game. And they also bleed shots. I believe there was just a statistic on the uh, MSG broadcast before the game that said that the Islanders had allowed 99 combined shots in their previous two games before facing the Predators, who had nearly 50 against the uh, against them so you knew that even though the Predators were down four to two and, and some of that had to do with some uncharacteristic goal by Pecorine that they were still within reach of the game it was that third goal by Callie Yarncroft late in the second period that I think made the difference because as Peter Laviolette said last night if you go into the locker room down by two it makes it a lot harder for you to come back or to engineer any sort of, of chance of coming back. Also, not only that, but it was the first time this season that the Predators have won a game in which they've trailed after 40 minutes. So when you add that into the drilling last-minute goal from Ryan Johansson, who has turned into a, uh, a a shot creator all of a sudden, and a great give-and-go with Roman Yossi and Nick Bonino, I'm still not sure how Nick Bonino is able to... Corral Roman Yossi saw high saucer pass, and immediately pass and it, it. it back from for a white right It was a great play all around. So it was a, it was a good game, especially because it was one of the it was it was one of the Predators' games in hand, uh, because neither Winnipeg nor St. Louis played last night. So not only to be able to salvage a point, but to get two is very important in the Central Division race.
1: Yeah. And I thought both goalies were great. And it's weird to say when that's a five to four game, both goalies, you know, stood on their head for long stretches of that game. And the third period was absolutely electrifying, I thought. And then also give the Islanders credit, too, because in the third period, I think right before the very end of the game, the they had only held the Predators to about three shots or something like that. Now you can check my math on that. But You just knew after a certain period, um, a certain point of time, that the Predators, at least it felt like they were going to tie it and the game was going to go to overtime, and I think that the game deserved overtime with how great both these teams were playing.
0: I think your sentiment there, John, is the same as the teams. Uh, I think they knew that while they weren't scoring at will, they were generating a lot of opportunities, Um, and not just in the shot counter but in terms of quality scoring chances. And as we both know, having previously resided in Washington, we know that Yaroslav Balak can erect a brick wall in goal, uh, but the Predators were able to pressure the the Islanders enough for them to crack a little bit. And then on the other side, Pecorine was quite relieved last night that the team won. uh, And he even said that they wouldn't have been in the position to come back if it weren't for him at the beginning of the game. Uh, he let in some uncharacteristic goals, as I mentioned, particularly uh, a shot off the rush from outside the circles by uh, Ryan Bullock. And then another long-range goal from Mick Letty that I believe may have deflected off a of body in front. But you know, those are low-danger scoring chances that Pecorine was allowing, and and that's not like him particularly lately um, with how well he's been playing. He's on an eight-game personal winning streak, which is third of its time this season. Andre Vasilevsky of Tampa – and uh, Jonathan Bernier of Colorado each had uh, nine game-winning streaks, if I recall correctly, earlier this season. But Ryan Johansson, who scored the game, goal, kind of said that they sort of owed Peck one of those games because he's had their back all season long, so it was time for them to have his back. Um, and I think it was just an all-around Betsy the. Confidence building effort
1: from them. Yeah, and he really did come back because that goal by Casey Zizikus, as well, right after they killed a penalty um, where he crashed the net, was also not not that great of a goal to get up to give up. But hey, they made it through. They got the two points and against an Eastern Conference opponent, and that's really all you care about. They could have gotten through with just one point, and I guess been fine. But it was a fun game. They got the two points with that game in hand, as you mentioned, and and they roll on through the road trip. Now, the bulk of the conversation, I imagine, that we're going to talk. About is going to be the Philip Forsberg sus- uh, suspension. He was suspended three games for a hit that he delivered on New York Rangers Jimmy Vesey that was deemed both late and high. Your thoughts on the suspension, and I believe that the team also had some thoughts on it as well.
0: Yeah, my thoughts on it were when I first saw it happen, I didn't think anything of it because we've seen Philip unleash those reverse checks a lot. But it was when Jimmy Vesey pulled himself off of the ice and he was bloody. So I thought, okay, maybe this hit wasn't as clean as originally looked. The interesting aspect of it is that the, there was no penalty call on the play at the time. Uh, but then the Department of Player Safety determined that interference was committed by Silva Forsberg and chose to review it. I'm sure the injury factor played into it, Jimmy V.C., I believe took maybe one more shift after that, but then left the game. And the Rangers recently announced that he's been diagnosed with a concussion. He's undergoing the protocol. He may even have to have some dental work, as is my understanding, as a result of the hit. The Rangers, who are absolutely crumbling uh, to the point where they recently asked Rick Nash to submit his no trade list ahead of the February 26th NHL trade deadline. You know, it just keeps getting worse for them. Mark Stahl also was injured in that game on a hit from Alexa Yemelin that was neither penalized, uh, nor received supplemental review, um, additional review, excuse me. So at three games for, for a, uh, a player with no disciplinary record, I thought was a bit strong. I don't think he should have escaped discipline, uh, but maybe one or two games tops. You look at the hit that, Austin Watson, the boarding call that he committed uh, against Dominic Tominato of the Air- of the Colorado Avalanche, excuse me, in November. Austin received a boarding major in game misconduct for pinning the Avalanche player's head against the boards and received two games for that. Perhaps because he was thrown out of the game, they lessened the supplemental suspension. But It engenders the conversation that often happens. We've had it with goaltender interference lately. I know that you and our uh, columnist Joe Rexford, who is en route to Korea right now to cover the Winter Olympics for USA Today, had a conversation about what goaltender interference is. You could have the same conversation about the NHL Department of Player Safety in regards to what
1: constitutes discipline and what shouldn't. Yeah, you just don't know. Anymore. And that's kind of we're mostly in agreement, I believe, with how things were doled out. You can argue about the lateness of the hit and all this other stuff. It looks like he was lining up for the hit before VC actually passed the puck away. The hit was very obviously high when you look when you look at the replays. He got him square in the head. And I think that, yeah, I agree with you, Adam, that a one-game suspension would have been fine with me. I would have been all right with it. I don't think that he should have escaped discipline, but three games is way too high, in my opinion, especially when you look at some of the the hits that have been doled out against the Predators in the past and some of the hits that have been doled out just in the NHL this season to be, in general, where you just don't know what's going to constitute a one-game suspension or a three-game suspension or a no-game suspension. Uh, and that's the problem that I have with player safety. If it was, you know, cut and draw, or consistent, I think that's the word, if it was consistent, I don't think that many people would have as much issue with it as they do, but there's just no consistency around the board whatsoever, and to your point, Phil Forsberg has had no supplemental discipline or suspensions or anything like that in his career, so yeah, it it struck me as just a a little bit odd and a little bit too hard of a suspension, I think. I would have been okay with one game, but three games was a little much.
0: Yeah. I think one or two would have been fine. I also wonder if he would have been thrown out of the game, received a misconduct on it, if that would have left him the penalty, sort of like what I was uh, referring to with Austin Watson. Mm-hmm. But the NHL's explanation was in the video that they released on Sunday evening was that there was significant head contact made and they were and the force with which the hit and contact were delivered also led to their decision to suspend Philip Forsberg for 3 games. I think the interesting thing is is that he didn't make any sort of obvious legal motion. He didn't thrust out his elbow or anything like that, but the player safety department believed that the window of time between when a player releases the puck and when he's eligible to be hit had passed before Philip Forsberg flattened Jimmy Vesey. And that's why they decided to suspend them for interference.
1: Yeah, and that's a hard thing to go through, too, just because hockey is such a fast game, and it wasn't called in real time. And, you know, again, you mentioned when you saw the hit in real time, it really didn't look that bad. It was when you started to slow it down and look at it again is where it looked a lot lot worse. And, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that if it was called... A penalty on the play, maybe it wouldn't have been as bad. I think we've seen that before. People in the league office also like to decide that if there was an injury on the play, then it makes it worse for some reason. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that there's either a legal hit or an, an illegal hit. And regardless of whether someone got injured shouldn't affect the outcome of the suspension. But, you know, the league office sees it uh, a little bit differently and you know, this is something that riled up Preds fans uh, a lot on Sunday, and even got Mike Fisher not under contract with the teams right now, so he can still technically say whatever he wants. But he he had some words for uh, for the Department of Player Safety as well on Twitter, saying that he said this is a joke, right? This
0: is a joke with a li- with a link to the video that's tweeted out by the Department of Player Safety.
1: God bless that man. <laughs> so we've we've seen. We- yeah, it's not great that Philip Forsberg is out of the lineup right now. No one wants to see their star player suspended. But given the opponents that they're playing on the road right now, we knew that it wasn't going to be a super make or break deal for them. It's not like they're, you know, in the middle of a playoff hunt and going down the stretch and everything like that. And you know, he just spent most of January on the sidelines and they did just fine without him. Um, so even as though as much as you want him in the lineup given the teams that are upcoming on this road trip, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world to be missing Philip Forsberg, right?
0: Well, they've won eight of the 12 games they've played without him this season, eight, two, and two, uh, 11 games because of injury, and then on Monday night, in the first game of his suspension. I think the encouraging thing was in those 11 games without him, uh, with injury, they averaged roughly 2.3 goals a game. So while they were winning, they weren't scoring a whole lot. Um, And then you saw him in his first two games. Uh, The team scores five goals in each. They defeat the Los Angeles Kings 5-0 and then put another five up on the New York Rangers. Score five in the third consecutive game and do it without Phillip Forsberg against the Islanders, I think, is the most encouraging thing. And I asked Austin Watson yesterday morning if there was a, a, a different feel offensively with Phillip in the lineup in those two games at Bridgestone Arena in terms of creating that, that a large amount of offense. And it, he, he pointed to the fact that it balances the lines in a way that's conducive to having those outbursts because you have firepower on each line for uh, players at least that are capable of scoring on each line. Um, but the fact that they were able to make adjustments yesterday, starting defensively, they were a little loose to start yesterday's game. I know Pecorine, wasn't spectacular to start, but the defense in front of him wasn't great either, particularly in those uh, high danger areas, right in front of the net, but they tightened that up. And then to be able to score five uh, the way they did I and mean, Kevin Fiala had, uh, had consecutive multi-goal games. And I tweeted this morning uh, that he's the sixth player in creditors history to have consecutive multi-goal games and consecutive team games. So the other player—it's a murder. It's a real murderer's row, if I recall off the top of my head. It, it, it features such luminaries as Scott Walker, Dennis Arcaz, JP, JP Dumont, James Neal, and Philip Forsberg. Wow! Uh, so you can add Kevin Fiala to that list in terms of players who have scored multiple goals in consecutive team games. It's actually the third uh, multi-goal game he's had in his past seven games, and now he's tied for the team leading goals with Victor Arvidsson with 17th. He had a big first period, uh, you know, a great pass by Kyle Turris and a great finish on that first goal. He tapped in the rebound on the second. Um, But to have those players step up in those instances, have Kelly Yarncroke nearing a career high in points with his big goal in the second period, to have Nick Benino make great plays on the give-and-go with Roman Yossi, to have Roman Yossi score a big-time goal in overtime, uh, you know, they're getting those contributions from everywhere, which we know is what they continue to talk about during the postseason in terms of how they were able to engineer a run to the Stanley Cup final. So this team is very talented, even know, without Philip Forsberg with him in the lineup, they're even more dangerous. And then you have to wonder as the trade deadline approaches within the next three weeks, if there's going to be another element to that lineup that makes them perhaps the scariest team on paper in the NHL.
1: Well, you mentioned Rick Nash. I know if this were about like five years ago, Predators fans would be clamoring over to try and pull him away from his current team. Uh, I, I think what uh, what you mentioned with Philip Forsberg being back in the lineup and not in the lineup, it's kind of like a placebo effect almost, right? Like they know that they can play well with him, or uh, I'm sorry, without him, but they would much rather prefer to play with him. But even without him, it's kind of like Bugs Bunny and, and Space Jam passing around Michael's secret stuff. It's just water. But, you know, it gives everyone that sense that, yes, we can do this, and we can we can play well, and we can score five goals every night, and we can beat any team. So that, that's where I think that that they're at. Now, uh, so you're in Toronto right now. We've got a slate of Canadian games coming through with the Maple Leafs tomorrow, and then the Senators on Thursday before playing the Canadians on Saturday. And uh, Philip Forsberg will be eligible to get back into the lineup against the Canadians. Um, so what do the Preds need to accomplish on this road trip? Just win? I mean, that's a that's it's a pretty standard thing. I think winning is good.
0: Yeah, it, it certainly is. And you look at the games that are, are coming down the pike here. Let's start with the one where I'm at in Toronto. The Maple Leafs just won a crazy, I believe, seven to four game Monday evening against the Anaheim Ducks, who are spidering a little bit themselves. The Maple Leafs are capable of high-powered offense as well, between Austin Matthews and Neelander and Kadri and Marlowe. You can go up and down the list in terms of players young and old who can contribute to the Maple Leafs. It should make for another exciting game. So Thursday and Saturday we'll each have, you know, emotional reunions. Uh I know Saturday against Montreal, PK's already been there, so it's not as uh it's not as anticipated perhaps as it was last year in March when the when the Predators went to Montreal for the first time since the trade uh, with Jay Weber, but they love him there and the Canadians are dreadful. Uh, So I imagine there will be a lot of angst from those attending the game at Bell Center, watching the Predators have a fantastic season and P.J. Subban positions himself as a Norris Trophy candidate. You know, I'm looking at the game on Thursday in Ottawa, which you know typically you don't really have much to say about, Senators, predators, the game. No, it would be the first, uh, the first game in Ottawa for Kyle Turris since he was uh, traded as part of that three-team deal with Colorado and Nashville. And I have a story that I'll post on Wednesday morning, um, and a long-form feature about Kyle Turris' relationship with the Capital City Condors, which is a team for adults and children with special needs that's based in the Ottawa area and Kyle was their honorary captain. That is the term that they bestowed upon him for more than five years uh, and played a significant role in a lot of people's lives. Um, and it's going to be uh, an emotional return for him in that regard. Uh, you know, the Condors are going to be at the game. They'll have special T-shirts on for Kyle. Uh, he's going to meet with them after the game. You know, I had a lot of I had a lot of fun uh you know, compiling this article and talking to people who played a role in his involvement, uh, because you get to see just how important he is to so many people, not just as a hockey player, you know, but as someone who has inspired their children and made a lot of people's life better. So I think from that case, and perhaps there'll be buyer's remorse as well from Ottawa, because Ottawa is terrible too. And Matthew Shane is not playing well. And you see Kyle Turris; he has slowed down recently, but started off point per game player in his first like 16 or 17 games with the Predators. So, you know, it's sort of like a you don't know what you have until it's gone for for the Nashville Predators through Eastern Canada this
1: Yeah, and I encourage everyone to go and read that article that Adam was talking about. Really nice, really nice article to get a sense for the work that Kyle Torres did, kind of like what P.K. Subban did over there in Canada. And it doesn't look like we're going to be seeing Shea Weber on Saturday either, because he's been out since, I believe, December with an injury. So unfortunately, that reunion is going to get a little bit stunted. But I am incredibly stoked for the Maple Leafs-Predators game tomorrow night, because one thing I noticed with the Predators playing the Islanders is we all know that the Predators are a really fun team to watch this season, as they have been since last year, but they also seem to have this effect on other teams that make other teams that are pretty fast, pretty speedy, they can put some goals into the net. Also really fun to watch, which is, I think, why that Islanders game was so fun, but I would put the money on the Maple Leafs game being the best one of of that slate, and then we're back in Bridgestone Arena next week.
0: Yeah, for, I think, four consecutive games, starting with uh, the first visit this season of the St. Louis Blues. And the Predators have played in St. Louis twice this season. St. Louis has not been in Nashville since the Predators eliminated them from the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs last year. Uh, and those games are exciting in a different way. Uh, you expect fireworks for tomorrow's game, offensive fireworks. You're not going to get those against the Blues. It's going to be a low scoring and nasty tilt between those two teams. They certainly don't like each other. One of my favorite anecdotes from the playoffs last year uh, between the Blues and the Predators, because as you know, John, that was the first time that those two teams had met in the playoffs, despite being division rivals since the Predators entered the NHL. Yep. And I remember Mike Yo uh, having a quote, I think maybe before Game Three, uh, to paraphrase, saying something along the lines of, "I think our, one of our issues was we didn't hate this team enough, and now I don't think that's an issue anymore." And I remember talking to Ryan Reed, who's no longer with the Blues, he's with the Pittsburgh Penguins, and talking to him about how hatred engenders itself and and, and and builds up when two teams, especially two division rivals, play in a playoff series. And I asked him, do you, did you think that you could dislike the Predators more uh, than, you, than you do now, based on how this playoff series had started? And he said, I didn't really like them anyway. So... <laughs> I, I got a, I got a kick out of that, and uh, so those games those games are always fun. Um, but before we go, you know, one thing you I mentioned it earlier, you brought it up again. I think it's something worth talking about because I, I know Predators fans, their ears may have perked up. You know, the, the New York Rangers asked Rick Nash within the past couple of days uh, to submit his no trade list. Uh, the reported list, I believe, is 18 teams he can't be traded to, so that leaves 12. Uh, that he can. Who knows who's on that list as of this very moment? But already a lot of linkage uh, between the Nashville Predators and Rick Nash, um, just based on what Rick Nash can provide and what the Predators are looking for. Now, I, you know, I know that you're the fact that I'll host here, but I'll start with you. As you mentioned several years ago, maybe Predators fans were clamoring uh, for Rick Nash, mostly because. I imagine, as a member of the Columbus Blue Jackets, he probably torched the Predators a lot in the beginning of his NHL
1: career. So much. Uh,
0: do you believe that Rick Nash, just just based on who he is as a player and what he can provide, not necessarily looking at cap space or the return yet, do you think Rick Nash would be a good fit for the Predators? At the trade
1: deadline, absolutely not. No, I've watched him play. Okay, yeah, no, I, I absolutely do not think so. And the the reason I think that is because yes, he is a really good player. He uh, can be dynamic, but can is the operative word. I think that there was a much bigger spotlight shown on him when he was playing in New York rather than Columbus for obvious reasons. New York is a much bigger market. They have a lot of history and tradition with that hockey team, and they were expected to do well every single season where that was not necessarily the case when he was playing in Columbus, even though he was really the only reason to watch that team for a long time when he was there. And they only made it to one playoff series, and they got swept, so they didn't even win a game with him in the Columbus Blue Jackets lineup, a playoff game, excuse me. It's very similar when he got to New York you heard just about every single year when New York got into the playoffs and they would go deep you know they made it to the Stanley Cup finals they made it to Eastern Conference finals they won a couple of rounds you know I'm very familiar with watching them play in the playoffs as you know my love for the Washington Capitals can dictate but he was just always seemed to be a missing piece or a ghost there was always articles about well maybe this is the time that Rick Nash is going to step up and maybe this is the time that Rick Nash is going to score in important goal or where is rick nash the rangers need rick nash to step up and and be that player that they traded for him would that be necessarily the same thing in nashville i don't necessarily think so maybe because you have a lot of playmakers and ryan johansson and kyle turris and uh, that that could help get him the puck to be that goal scorer but that question is still there is he going to be able to lift his game and elevate his game in the playoffs and from everything that I've seen through his career I, I don't think that that's that's going to happen so no I don't think that this is Rick Nash is what the Predators need even before talking into his salary cap and all the crazy trade demands and everything like that
0: well I think what's interesting and you know I I, I slightly disagree just That's good. That makes for good conversation. Back, I slightly, like, slightly disagree. I, I think that his his contract situation makes for an interesting predicament. Um, because he is a rental. He is a he is a pending free agent. Now, here's the interesting aspect, as reported by Elliot Freeman this past weekend on hockey night in Canada headlines that Rick Nash would be open if he were traded by the Rangers to returning to New York as a free agent because he he loves playing for New York. And he even said as much uh, yesterday when he spoke with reporters in Dallas where the uh, Rangers ultimately lost to the Dallas Stars last night, um, but said that it was going to be difficult for his son because. Uh, it is going to be difficult for his son not to cheer for Rangers goals anymore because whenever the Rangers score, he sings their goal song, which if you've heard it, is one of the most annoying
1: things ever. Um, Just under Chelsea Dagger, in my opinion. Uh, yeah,
0: so you, you have to factor that in too. You don't want to give up a lot for a guy who may decide that, well, I'll come be a you know a hired mercenary, uh, you know, for a couple months, and then I'm going to go back to Manhattan. You know the Predators have their first-round draft pick this summer, uh, which will probably be on the lower side of the uh, on the lower side of the uh, of the draft in terms of you know near the bottom because of how well they've been playing. You know the interesting thing is when it comes to talking about trades with the Predators is that when you look at their system, when you look at their prospect pipeline, they don't really have a whole lot available playing professional hockey in the minors. You know, their AHL team, the Milwaukee Admirals, doesn't really have a guy down there that's the next in line to be the hot shot prospect. You know, UC Soros was that player for a little while. Now he's up with the big club and, and presumably there to stay uh, minus those little stints that he takes down there to get more playing time. But, you know, there's no can miss prospect down there. I mean, their best prospects, you know, Ellie Colvin Dante Fabro, Patrick Harper, players like that are either in college or overseas. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't think that Predators want to disrupt any chemistry by taking a player off of their current roster. So, you know, is a first round draft pick and, you know, a Pontus Abert, for example, or, you know, or something like that enough to coerce the New York Rangers or another team, you know, to send them, you know, a top six winger. Right. Um, I know that another, you know, winger that's been, you know, link to the Predators through multiple reports uh, and hearsay is Max Pacioretty. Well, apparently the Canadians want a young center who can help immediately because Jonathan Joanne is not, you know, working out as expected at that position. The Predators don't have a young center to give. Like, I don't think they're going to break the bank for that. But if you if you, were to be able, if you were able to convince the Rangers to maintain remaining salary, and get Rick Nash for maybe a $1 million cap hit through the remainder of the season. Maybe give up your first-rounder, maybe throw in a prospect or two, and be able to have Rick Nash in your lineup for you know 25 regular season games and then hopefully a push to the playoffs. He doesn't have to be the man. He can be a capable third-line wing for this team and play on the power play and play on the penalty kill and still be effective. So I think there is... Uh, a role for Rick Nash on this team if the Predators choose to go that route if Rick Nash would be willing to be traded to Nashville
1: Interesting, interesting. I think that uh, if you were the New York Rangers GM, you would have a condition in there that Nashville trades uh, a first-round pick for every goal that Rick Nash scores in the playoffs. And I think Nashville will get ahead on on that one. So I'm looking at his stats right now. And when they went to the Stanley Cup final, uh, three goals in 25 games. And last year, he was uh, three goals in 12 games and two goals in five games. Uh, The most he scored was in 2014, 2015, where he scored five goals in in 19 games. And yeah, I, I guess... I guess I could see him being a third line piece on that because they have Forsberg, they have Johansson, Turris, Fiala, Craig Smith to be doing the heavy lifting. But I just don't, if you're getting a guy to come in and score three goals in the playoffs or a couple of points in there, I just don't see why you would give up a, a prospect or a pick or something like that when, you know, Max Pacchetti is a better option or uh, Mike Hoffman could be a better option, you know, if we wanted to go down that route. So, uh, in my opinion, uh, no, but I, I do do see where you're coming from and I think you made valid points. So we are going to wrap up the podcast there unless there's anything else that you wanted to talk about I think we've handled it all. I think we have. I'm going to get so many angry emails and Twitter DMs, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, so, Adam, have fun in Canada. Uh, eat some poutine for me, please. And then uh, we will convene next week with, I'm sure, either before or after uh, what should be uh, an incredible playoff-like game against the St. Louis Blues. So you can follow Adam on Twitter, at Adam Vingen. You can follow me, at Jay Garcia 36 and we'll talk to you next time.